Welcome to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. I'm Gwen Filosa. I'm a reporter at the Miami Herald. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org. Joining me is writer Grady Hendricks, an expert on slasher films and all things horror. Grady, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. So far, so good, I guess. You know, it's, uh, I'm alive. It's always a plus. I'm always grateful for, for that and uh, be above board. You, to me, you're an expert on, on slasher films, on horror, whether it's novels, writing. You write a lot of books. You're, uh, uh, you have a, a Final Girl Club is out in paperback? Yeah, Final Girl Support Group just came out in paperback in June. So yeah, so now people can get it even cheaper. Awesome. That's always Final Girl Support Group. I'm sorry. Um, tell us about, uh, how did you choose who to put in? What 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 can people expect from, uh, from your uh, analysis, so to speak? Yeah, well, I mean, the book itself is um, the the shortest book I've written. It's it's really fast paced. You know, a lot of times with slasher movies, the 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 last third of the film and, and usually the most interesting part is a big chase, right? It's the killer coming after the final girl. It's Jason at, at Crystal Lake chasing down, you know, Alice Hardy, or it's Michael Myers, uh, you know, in Haddonfield coming after Jamie Lee Curtis or whoever it is, you know, but it's always that chase. And that's always the best part of the movie. So the whole book is structured as a chase. I mean, it's about the conceit is if final girls are real, they'd obviously all have put their trauma behind them, but still be in a support group years later. And now they're getting killed one by one in the support group. And, you know, to me, there was no question about the ones to include. Um, you have to include someone who had a summer. The, the, the slashers are almost iconic now. They, they really dug into our collective unconscious. So we all know the Halloween killer, right? Mm-hmm. So there has to be a final girl like that who's a response to that. There's the summer camp slasher. You know, there's the the redneck cannibals. Um, there's the uh, meta slasher, you know, that even before Scream, there were meta slashers, but Scream sort of started that trend in the 90s, but they all have to be meta. And then we all know, as weird as it is, the Christmas slashers, you know, the Santa Claus with an axe yeah. that became so infamous in the 80s <laughs> with Silent Night, Deadly Night, and all the protests that broke out around it. People lost um, their minds. It is a terrible film. I saw it at a bar one night. Yeah. I was at a bar at 4 a.m. Yeah, it's a really... It's type a of really, movie. Yeah, it's a really grimy exploitation movie. Oh. Um, but it's, it, it's kind of... Um, beautiful and it's it's pure intention to be just distasteful across the board i agree it's very john waters uh, approved type of um yeah i just don't know why everybody lost it i'm like you're just giving it free publicity it's... well funnily enough i mean the, when silent night, <laughs> that big night came, yeah but when it came out it made good money like it was doing really oh, really well oh yeah and the studio was so they were just had just either were about to do a big sale or just had done a big sale and they had a new corporate governance in place and they really didn't want to be identified with like, you know, the people giving Santa Claus an ax and children being photographed at protest holding signs that says Santa Claus isn't a bad man. So they yanked it. The movie did really great business and they yanked it, I think after two weeks oh, uh, no. when it was sort of, yeah. 
And that was back in the day when movies would run for 10, 15, 20 weeks as they rolled out across the country, something like this. So um, the weird thing is some theaters ignored the, the call to yank it because it was doing so well for them. They just kept playing it and they were all in Chicago, weirdly enough. So oh, okay. Chicagoans are made of tougher stuff, you know? Oh, Chicago. They, they, um, yeah, because I'm just like, it's just a movie. It's like, don't, I mean, there's, they're all kind of, you know, similar theme. This one just had, and Santa, it's kind of a weird origin story, the chimneys. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's also, but you know, Santa's, Santa's been connected with horror for a long time, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, let's all remember uh, Phoebe Cates' beautiful monologue in Gremlins about why she hates Christmas when her dad dressed up as Santa and got stuck in the chimney and died. That is Um, valid. And and he's a burglar. He's really just a third rate burglar who brings things and and, um, doesn't make up for time, doesn't make up for the felony. And also, you know, even going back to like the old country, right, Germany and Scandinavia and Austria and stuff where where the St. Nicholas myth started, he always traveled with someone evil who was there to punish the bad children. So as excited as you were to see Santa, you were horrified if it was Krampus who was going to beat you with chains and stuff you in his sack. That's I didn't know all that. Krampus is is the best movie. What an alternative to uh, Night Deadly. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, so Santa's always come with the dark side. He's, okay, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, the most famous Christmas story of all, uh, Christmas Carol is a ghost story. It is. And it, it, when I was a kid, it really frightened me because Marley oh, yeah. meant business. Oh, yeah. The, the door knocker turning into the face and oh. the ghost of Christmas future is terrifying. He's, it's, it's, the whole thing is terrifying. It's like, it's like, I mean, it's like we're, we're scaring, you know, jerks, rich jerks into being nice. It, it's, it's a weird concept, but. It's a way to do it. <laughs> Where, now I, for some reason, have this allegiance to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, but I'm, I'm a Halloween girl when it comes ah. to, I, now, now Halloween did it break ground? Was it, I mean, John Carpenter's a genius in my mind. Was, I'm not a scholar. I mean, was this concept already out there? Well, you know, it's interesting. Halloween was the first movie that kind of put it all together in 1978. There'd already been Texas Chainsaw Massacre earlier in the 70s and Black Christmas, which was the Bob Clark's Canadian film about a killer stalking a sorority house. And those were two forerunners, but the first person to really just perfect the formula, get it all right, and launch a million imitators was Halloween in 78. So you're definitely right about that. So it was, and I'm a fan of the Rob Zombie remakes. I I really like them. I think they're, he is a, he is a very deranged man. I, I relate. Yeah, and he definitely loves the franchise. I mean, those remakes, he has a lot of love for the originals and, and yes. trying to to be part of the conversation, you know, and put his own mark on them. But yeah, so they're really present. You know, it's funny with slashers because the real origin for slashers is urban legends, right? You know, the story about the babysitter and she's getting phone calls from a crazy guy who says he's going to kill her. And then the police trace the call and the call's coming from inside the house and he's upstairs or... 
you know, the roommate, which is, you know, the girls in uh, uh, their college dorm with, uh, you know, one of them goes out and she comes home and there's a note on the door that says, don't turn on the light. So she thinks her friend is asleep already. And then the next morning, you know, she finds um, her roommate dead with, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light written in blood over the bed or the hook with the kids oh. in lover's lane. And there's the killer out there with the, the, hook, hook. the hook trying to get them. Yeah, those are and Grady. Thanks for scaring me. My uh, pleasure. That is but those, uh, those uh, urban legends go back to the the 40s and the 50s, do? and that's really where yeah, that's really where slashers come from. Because I um I recently rewatched uh, when a stranger calls Carol Kane. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, that is a great film. Then they yeah. remade it. So I'm like, I'll watch the remake. Terrible. Watched it in fast forward. They 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 they're not making things as scary anymore. I think the Freddy Krueger, let's let's look at Freddy Krueger. Mm. Uh, do, do they still have the same origin that he was a horrible child abuser? As or, far as I know, I know there was a reboot of I Nightmare and I didn't exactly see it. Yeah. Um, but, but so, but yeah. yeah. Could you that get it with the, that today? Because I was a kid and we would go and we're like, yeah, he's a horrible child molester. And, yeah. Well, you know, and, and it's interesting because that's the thing with uh, slashers, right? There's always some some original sin. So mm-hmm. the he is a horrible child molester, but he also is a victim as a lynching victim i mean all the parents yes, get together right. and burn him to death it's and a horrible story they they just took yeah. it in their own hands and um he was yeah they 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 did they did uh, murder yeah him. and now he's out for their children or um jason you know jason is out for revenge because they killed his mother and his mother in the first movie's out for revenge because a bunch of camp counselors let her kid drown because they were getting it they were too busy getting it on um, I rewatched that. I I love horror movies. It's my piece these days. It's like I like them better than true crime. But the mother, man, she is a good actress. That that movie, oh, she's great. Up. That holds up. She was like that was like theater kind of stuff. Oh yeah, the original Friday is really fantastic. And you know, people talk a lot about Chris Pine's uh, sweater in Knives <laughs> Out, but I really think Ms. Voorhees' sweater really trumps it. Oh my gosh. And I just, um, one, one, uh, I'm not a fan of all of them though, because, um, the, the, the thing about movies when the kill has to be so creative or here's a, right. Right. Gotta go through his eye. And I'm like, I I just, I just want to see people get picked off in, I like the strategy. I like watching the strategy. What do you think about the kills? Like, do you, do you appreciate that they're using a spear here and a forklift? You know, there's a, there's a fun to it, but but yeah, I'm not in it for the kills. The kills are fun. They're showstoppers, you know, and they have the same setup as a comedy, right? Tension, 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 release. Um, I mean, in fact, in in, in movie making, um, a, a gore effect, like someone, a machete going through someone's head, it's called a gag, just mm. like it would be if it was comedy. Um, but, you know, you look at the original Texas Chainsaw, which really is still i i i love the friday the 13th movies i love halloween but they are not classics the way the original texas chainsaw is and that movie's surprisingly bloodless i mean there is very little on-screen gore oh my god do you know i've never seen it i'm not the whole i've got to i tried to find it on i'm gonna have to buy it because i saw the one with jessica beale and i didn't like it oh the remake yeah yeah no the original the original is wild and i remember seeing that in the 80s and you know there's no one famous in it and it's made by a bunch of weirdos down in texas 
and uh, I rented it from the the video store. And back when you rented movies, they would, you know, you wouldn't get a box with art on it. You'd get a plain plastic box. And <laughs> yeah. this was a, this tape was a dupe. And so it just had a sticker on the side where someone had written Texas Chainsaw Mass in Magic Marker. Mass. Yeah. And then you get it. We got it home and we were all 13, I think. And we watched it and we felt like we were watching a snuff film. Like we had no point of reference. Like, what was this? What this, is this? This and... seemed like, yeah, it seemed so, so grimy and, and found and like outsider art. It was weird. It does. It does seem like art to me. I mean, I've seen clips, but it is really, there's no gore. It's just the terror that people remember, think, oh, it was, uh, it needs chainsaws, but still not a bloody. Right, well, the fear and also good editing. Um, and also, you know, it is a grimy, ugly, dirty house full of dead animals. Um, yeah, so there's good. no, yeah, there's no gore, but there are a lot of bones and desiccated corpses. And so it's definitely, you know, it's upsetting, but surprisingly a little gore. Now, now let's talk a little bit. Why, why is it the final girl in I can't even think of one that would be the final boy unless he was like a side boyfriend character. Why is it, why is this, why is that so powerful? Cause even as a kid, I was like, Hey, these women are really standing up. Um, right. Or, or the, is it more pure, like paternal, puritan? I don't know. What, tell us about why. No, it- it's sure. I mean, there are some final boys like uh, Tommy Jarvis and the Friday the 13th movies is in a couple of them and uh, nightmare on Elm street Two famously has a final boy um but you're right mostly they're girls and that i feel like i mean there's box office reasons and all that but really you know look it's a it's a woman in psycho back in 1960 it's um you know it's a woman in little red riding hood who confronts the wolf in the woods it's a woman in bluebeard who confronts her killer husband in the fairy tale you know we've got a fascination that's cultural that goes back hundreds of years we really like seeing a woman take on some kind of male monster and overcome him using nothing but her her wits and cunning that's the story we've been telling forever because it and it's just it's a great story that's why because um and we kind of know from the onset I mean, I don't know if audiences, I don't know if I thought Jamie Lee Curtis was going to survive in the first one, but by now it's, it's not a shock. We know they're going to survive. Right. I mean, right. Right. No, exactly. I mean, you know, and, 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 and little red riding hood, you know, there are versions where she dies, but usually the woman surviving is key. And that's the satisfaction in the story because you come in and you think, how on earth is this going to, is she going to pull this off? And she does. Amazing, and the I, I know you, you know more about this than I do, but the 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 idea that um the the people who have sex usually get killed in the Halloween movies, Friday the Fifteenth. See, I just always kind of thought, well, maybe the the sex is in there just because you know read that we're going to read the room, or do you really believe that there's some messaging there, whether it's intentional or not? Well, there's always been the thing of you break a rule and you pay a price. Little Red Riding Hood's told not to go off the path and she does and finds a wolf. Uh, the woman in Bluebeard, the bride, is told not to look in that room and she does. Um, but I don't, those weren't sexual threats. You know, I mean, those weren't, they weren't, didn't commit a sin of, of sex. Um, 
But then you go to um, The Hook, right? And the first Hook stories appeared in 47 or 48 uh, out in LA. And that was very much two teens in a car making out um, in the middle of nowhere and, and the escaped lunatic from an asylum or escaped criminal with a hook is at large. And, you know, they, they get away in the nick of time. So it's like, you know, two teens in the woods trying to have sex and they get attacked by a killer with an unusual weapon, the hook. So that's where sex started coming into it. As far as I know, it may have come in earlier, but as far as I know, and the place that comes from is those stories of the hook, those urban legends really appeared for the first time when there was a guy named Carol Chessman, who was at large in LA. He was known as the red light bandit. And he would pull up behind couples in lover's lanes. He had a red light on his car. So they think he was a cop and he would sexually assault the women and, and rob them. Um, and he was a huge publicity hound and, and LA was really in the grip of fear. And when he was arrested, he loved publicity. He wrote like four books from oh death row. God. There was a movie baby and the books were huge sellers. And there was another huge resurgence in hook stories in 1960 when he was executed, which is a very public and very controversial institution. So I feel like the hook was where sex entered into it. And it really was predicated on this real live dude who was, who was committing sexual assault. Um, but there'd always been the don't, you know, don't, you know, listen to your grandmother, do as you're told. Uh, and if you don't, there's consequences. Do, do you think horror and I, I just like call them slash films, horror movies, um, you know, do, do they get respect as an art form? Because I think it's an, a very, uh, uh, you know, big art form because it really goes to our core, our, our fear of, of being harmed or fight or flight. Do, do you think it gets enough respect? Nah, it doesn't need respect, though. I'd be terrified of respect. You know, a movie gets too much respect and you wind up with something like The English Patient, just sitting there right. getting bored. Um, so I, I prefer the disreputable stuff that, uh, you know, it just slips below the radar a little more, a little more nicely. And I love I love the low-budget DIY. I, I could watch Halloween anytime because I... And it's just such a success story of like, hey, I'm just going to make this movie and I'm going to write the music. And um, what, what are some underrated films out there that we're not, that we don't, uh, more of us need to see when it comes to horror? What, what are some... Uh, what you mean in terms of slashers? Yeah, what, when it comes to slashers or when it comes to, yeah. yeah. What, what are some that, that just sure. haven't, uh, that, that just got buried? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Black Christmas is still an absolutely terrifying movie. It's it's sort of considered the original slasher. It is um, absolutely horrifying. Uh, and it's a Christmas film. So if you're a sucker for Santa, you know, it's right up your alley. I've heard um, it's great. I oh, it's fantastic. I've heard it's really um, well done. Oh, it's really great. Um, and also, you know, a lot of people, they turn their nose up and there's another classic and a lot of people turn their nose up at it because it's got such a wild title, but, um, Slumber Party Massacre is, I've seen it if the woman from Wings was in it. Yes. And how do I know this? Oh my God. And the thing about Slumber Party Massacre that's so great is, um, it's a movie that was directed and not just directed by a woman, but also it was uh, written by a woman, Ruby, Ruby May, uh, uh, Ruby May, oh gosh, Ruby May Brown, the uh, famous feminist author. Um, and it oh God, really I no is. Idea. I know who she, yeah. Rita May Brown. Rita May Brown. Jeez, thank oh you. Oh my God, she um, wrote that movie. 
Yeah. Great. And oh yeah. And it's one of those movies that um really, really uh treats women like people rather than just sort of disposable notches in a body count. Um it's really, really worth seeing. Um and you know two other movies that I think really are underrated. One is, and you can find it pretty easily streaming. Uh, it's not a slasher movie, but if people haven't seen Ginger Snaps, it's a uh, great werewolf movie, I think from the 90s or the early 2000s. Um, and it is about two sisters who are obsessed with horror movies. And um, then the older sister, she's turning 13 and, you know, she's starting to grow hair in strange places of her body and she's experiencing mood swings. And you think you know what it is, but nope, it's a werewolf. She's a werewolf. No way. Um, Google this. You know, it's, well, it's, I've heard of this because, it, okay, yeah. Ginger is one of the outcast sisters. Yeah. She got a, and it's, oh, got her period too. Okay. That's a lot going on. I it's like a it. lot going on and it's a fantastic movie. And then another one that's a new movie, and I'm not sure, it's not really a slasher, um, but the, um, the Boy Behind the Door is really, it, it, it basically takes place in real time. It's a few years old, and it's about two kids, or one kid who gets abducted after a baseball practice, and his friend sees it, or his friend, no, two kids are abducted after baseball practice, one escapes. And they're trapped in this guy's house who's abducted them and they have to get out. And it unfolds in real time. The kids are about 10 or 11 years old. And it is one of the tensest, most harrowing things I've seen in a long, long time. And it's entirely told through the point of view of these 10 or 11 year old kids. And it's really, really intense. That is great. I know I'm keeping you too long. Wanted to, yeah. so um, are we going to see Black Phone? Is that, it looks amazing. It looks great. I have not, you know, and it sounds a lot like The Boy Behind the Door. I have not seen it yet. And right now I'm actually, um, we're getting ready, actually starting to write my next book. And so I sort of like can't really do much except write and work. So I won't see it for a little bit, but it looks fantastic. And hey, Ethan Hawke's a crazy killer. I'm good for that. What happened? I'm in. He's a great, but very, and, and I love the first Sinister movie. Oh, I know. Um, one more question, Grady. Please, please. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, where do you stand with uh, the so-called torture porn, the hostels? I've seen too many of those. I keep watching them. I watched The Human Centipede one right after another. I, I, that I regret. As my biggest <laughs> life regret. Why? Are, where do you stand with those? I, I guess I'm thinking hostile. What else? Uh, oh, maybe, I like the Saw movies. I think they're incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, to me, it, it all depends on the movie, not the Hostel's genre. Pretty bad. Um, Hostel's pretty disgusting. <laughs> but you know, for me, um, you know, there are movies that sort of have a wink, wink, mean spiritedness to them. Yeah. Um, and those really aren't the movies I return to. I usually return, I find myself watching again and again, movies where someone lives, someone gets away. Like The yeah. Dorm, The Trip, Blood's an incredibly mean-spirited movie. It's It's a lot of fun, but I'd rather see, I'd rather see Halloween again or, or Nightmare on Elm Street 4. You know, I just, uh, I want to, I I want a final girl. Uh, There's another franchise I'm thinking, I'm, I mean, they're, well, Hostel's just disgusting. Why did I watch that, Grady? There's no (laughs) sense of, there's no, it's just meant to shock and, and disturb, but, um, but those kids, man, it's not fair. They're just traveling Europe. Well, yeah, but. 
there, I mean, you know, the thing with the hostile movies, like them or dislike them, it's a really interesting snapshot of America in, yes. in the early 2000s. You know, here are these ugly Americans traveling overseas and, and blundering into all these situations that are dangerous, just blithely. You know, just, just they have no idea of what they're, they're dealing brutal. with, the forces they're unleashing. They are an indictment of, uh, I think, excess wealth. And finally, um, have you seen Fresh on Hulu? Fresh, it's it's it, it's a hard no. kind of. It's about... Is that the cannibal movie? Yes. Or the cannibal series? Yes, yes I've seen so a few bizarre. episodes of it. It's it's fun. It's a it lot of fun. I'll... Fun, and, and it's I Drew Barrymore, it. right? No, I can't think of. It's an unknown actress. I don't. She's not my favorite. But oh, right. It, it makes Drew a Barrymore argument of uh, that that's hard to kind of. That's right. Drew Barrymore's in the Cannibal Show, Santa Clarita Diet. Oh, um, I haven't seen that because Cannibal movies usually I'm kind of like, eh, I don't, I, I don't. But but Fresh is pretty. And then where do we stand on uh, vampire movies? And then I'll let you go. Oh man, if they're good, can't get enough of. Them. I mean, come on, it's um, I got no problem with the vampire, and as long as the movie's good, I mean, you know, um, uh, The Hunger with David Bowie and Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve or um near dark the Catherine bigelow vampire movie i'll, I'll watch those anytime movie. i've seen it like 50 times and it's uh it's the best oh grady where can uh people read all about you got a website and i'm sure you're yeah. on instagram and- just gradyhendrix.com and you will be confronted with more garbage about me than you were ever interested in it's a great so grady hendrix everyone that's with an x and we'll, we'll have that in our we'll spell your name right thank you so much for taking this time and really it helps me organize um you know stories and what's in my inner i can't be afford i can't afford to be disappointed by my entertainment these days i think <laughs> i can't afford i hear you watch it's like stranger things seems to be going well in the, the end so i i I appreciate your, uh, your, your scholarly work. <laughs> oh, thanks. I really appreciate it. I, I like being called a scholar. It makes me feel you like a smarty pants. But thank you, sir. Take care. Great talking to you, Gwen. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Gwen. Thanks for having me. This is so great. Now, I just met you. Uh, you've been in Key West for a while. I met you at the studios of Key West. They had One Night Stand, which is a 24-hour theater project where you all get together and put together a new a new play within 24 hours. You were an actor, and I all I saw was this beautiful woman in a houndstooth oh. skirt and jacket <laughs> With a fake, a fake cigarette? It was fake, but thank you. Yeah, it was fake. I, 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 I borrowed that from the Fringe Theatre, and I didn't realize how real it looked. I honestly. thought you were smoking, and I didn't know <laughs> you. And I thought I like her, <laughs> but I kept looking at it like, how could it be so real? It wasn't a vape. It was just a- yeah. It was. It was just perfect, and you know, I, I think it fooled a lot, a lot of people because someone came up to me and said, "Oh, is that real?" <laughs> No, no yeah. smoke though, or did it have smoke? Yeah, no, it didn't have smoke. Okay, well, we don't need yeah. smoke because that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. But what did you um? Had you done the project before One Night Stand? 
I'd never done it. I'd seen it on YouTube. I'd heard about it. And I was thinking about going in as a writer, but then I thought, oh my goodness, too much pressure. <laughs> and then I went in as an actor. Didn't know what to expect, but um, it was a fantastic experience. Um, kind of very fast moving though, and a lot, of, a lot of pressure and, you know, but it was great to meet new people and to get our heads together, get the story together, learn our lines and figure out props. And everyone was just brilliant. It was so good. It was a great event. And I yeah. did it as a writer years back. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think the acting and the directing is in the state. I just, I wrote it by myself with my dog. And then I went to <laughs> bed, showed yeah. up at 10 and they were all putting it together, but it was wonderful. I had never yeah. been, I'd never written a play, let alone, you know. Yeah. What was it, what was that for you to see people acting out, you know, saying your words? I just can't believe I wrote a play and it actually I mean, the director interpreted, oh, I was not happy when I'm sitting there and they're like, we're changing this, but it was for the best. (laughs) I'll be honest. Yeah, we did that. (laughs) I did give one actor way too many lines. It was Laura Richardson, Laura Holmes today. And she didn't complain, but thinking back. Yeah. She, but but she nailed it. (laughs) She, they all nailed it. But um, I just couldn't believe that. And some of them had not been on a play. So, but some of them had. So anyway, it was random they randomly choose you did did you know everyone on your uh production? I, knew, I knew two people but and then the rest I didn't but it was how meet them. how have we never met before I have no idea this island's tiny and then you know <laughs> we we know the same people it's just it's so bizarre we do <laughs> and I run into you and you're this uh someone that has been doing acting for a while and with the accent I'm gonna guess you're from Jersey <laughs> Kentucky <I'm> UK <laughs> From the from England, yeah, from England. You're English. Yeah. You're an English um, woman. I, I I grew up in Somerset, which is in the southwest. I moved around a lot. I lived in Scotland for a while, which is one of my favorite places in the world. I just I love Scotland; it's so magical. And then I ended up living in at, in London, in the city, for years and years until I came to America. And how did you get to Key West? What's your Key West story? My friend had been living here for a while anyway and she'd been pestering me telling me come to Key West blah 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 and I thought well, yeah whatever but when I did I came back the second time and the third time and I thought okay if I'm coming back the fourth time I'm going to stay it was just I was hooked um I could have lived in Virginia because my brother's there mm-hmm. but I just felt you know what I need some sunshine <laughs> why are we so why do we love it here? It's so expensive and it's crazy crowded, but I have been able to do artistic things like stand-up comedy or podcasts, things. I don't think I would have gotten these opportunities anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. I feel the same way. I, in, in London, there, of course there's arts and theater, but it's just not as accessible. And, and in Key West, it just is. And everyone's here to support you, no matter what, what you do. And I feel so blessed to be here. And, and I, this, it's so, I learned this when I wrote about musicians in Key West, but I've always written about artists and a little bit of theater. Everyone is so there. I expected competition, which I think is healthy and has a place. Mm -hmm. People here are, I didn't experience any of that. I experienced, Hey, how can I help? And yeah, why don't you come and try this and some stage time? Yeah. People make time for you here. It's really, it's, it's wonderful. I've never seen that anywhere else. Um, Yeah. I'd recommend any artist who needs, you know, to develop their craft to come to Key West. <laughs> you can sure. do what you want here and it's okay. It, yeah. It, I don't know a single person who doesn't do something artistic where they sing or, now you do a lot of things. What, what is paint pouring? I think I know it's like a Jackson Pollock. You, you pour. 
You poor, it's so much fun. I got hooked when the Studios of Key West um, had a challenge for artists to create art on a baseball bat. And then, um, if you remember, they were, it was to celebrate our Cuban roots and also baseball. And I had no idea what to do. And I somehow came across paint pouring on the internet. And I just thought, how do I not know about this? And it's, it's really straightforward. You mix acrylic paint with um, pouring medium. Okay. You pick your colors and you pour and everything just blends together. It's very organic, it's raw and it's stunning actually. And people make a living off it. You know, they make, you know, canvases and amazing, amazing paintings. I, I love that because on that way, you don't just go to Home Depot, buy a color, a blue paint and just splatter. You mix stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you can, you can, you can buy it ready-made, but it's more fun doing it yourself. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so, so good. Is it, um, is it very, very messy? It is messy, for sure, <laughs> but it's worth it. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. It's I love key. that. You, it, it started with a challenge from the studios. I remember everyone was just walking around with these these very plain baseball bats, and I was like, oh, God, this doesn't look it. No, it was totally. <laughs> People did I remember crazy that. fun things with Oh, them. my goodness. Did you see the one with the clock, the inside of a clock, the mechanics? I saw that. I saw one that was a bat. Uh, like an animal yeah. oh yeah I remember that one I was like that is cool but I that I is. loved um how people brought their personal so you did a paint pouring so I'm gonna imagine that it was a very uh a lot of different paints colors yeah I I used kind of kind of ocean colors blue green and it, I wanted to look like the sea and then I got I managed to get Cuban stamps delivered to me in time and I put stamps all over it and then I added a little bit of um what's it called gold gold paint gold foil paint gold leaf sorry <laughs> and put that all over it and it was it was pretty good actually and it sold I could not believe it <laughs> congratulations that and, thank and you now had you were you a painter or a, doing uh visual arts before no that was my first time I couldn't Love believe that. it and I thought someone bought my art it's it's in somebody's house right now so thank you whoever you are <laughs> <laughs> they were cool looking. That was like there were hundreds, right? Yeah, there were so many. Did you, did you see the cigar one? It was it was huge. And it looked like Someone made a, a, a the bat into a cigar. Yeah, it was it was great. The I love everything. <laughs> way to go! Way to go! Are you someone that grew up thinking I want to do plays and theater and acting, or how did how did it come into your life? I grew up wanting to be an actor. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I never. Theatre didn't cross my mind. I just thought I kept thinking screen, screen, screenplays, films, movies. Um, it's only when I got to Key West that I thought, oh, maybe I can do this. <laughs> and yeah. you're you're involved with Fringe Theatre, which now has a home at the Armory on White Street. Yes, Fringe is at um, six hundred White Street, and it's been there for about a year now, and it's great. We have we're doing Monologue Mondays, which starts this evening. Monologue Mondays. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a performance workshop, and it's open to everybody who wants to come along and read a monologue, or sing, or dance, or whatever you want to do, or you can just come and watch. Wide and, open to that's great. Yeah, and it's for the next three Mondays um, coming. Monday starting yeah. um tonight's the eleventh. Everyone. Yeah. Want to learn more about about that and um talk about acting. I mean, how long have you been doing it? You've done some a couple of big shows with Fringe, uh, Desdemona, the Toni Morrison play. Yeah, that was such a beautiful experience. Um, Toni Morrison, I think she's she she'd written three plays, one of which 
can't be found anywhere. It was called Finding Emmett, and that was it was staged in the 80s, and since then it's disappeared. It has been published, it hasn't been produced. So that's that's really it's interesting. <laughs> I'd love to see it. But then she wrote Desdemona, and it's a really beautiful piece of writing. It's very poetic and it's very so moving. So when we did it, it was myself and Martha Hooten who played Desdemona, and I played the four other characters. And what I loved about this piece was that the cast and crew worked together throughout the whole creative process. And we, you know, it was just, it was great. We were connected, we, um, we brainstormed, and, you know, it was, it was experimental. And I think the audience loved it. So that was, was definitely one of my favorite pieces to work on. <laughs> Play Desdemona, you played multiple characters? I did. I played Othello and I played Desdemona's mother. I, I played Barbary, who was her, her, her African, her maid. And another character that Tony Morrison created called Emil. So that, that yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough uh, dynamic going on with Othello and everybody, yeah. basically. He, he had some issues with everybody. Mm -hmm. He definitely did. And the interesting thing is the conversations take place in the afterlife and all the characters are looking back at the events and they're just, you know, it's a process. <laughs> I love that. I love that. To me, acting is, you know, live theater, it's, it's art happening right before our eyes. And it's mm -hmm. so, I don't know, I, I don't even have words, like it's so powerful. Um, when you do screen work is what are the differences or what are, I would I think theaters is so much harder but yet maybe more I, I think so I wouldn't have I've only learned this because of being with Fringe and doing theater in the U.S. but um with theater you connect with the audience they're actually there and you're mm -hmm. sharing that space and that energy but and you're they're there for the duration and it's live and it's scary it's fantastic and you know you, you definitely grow from it um, with film is of course it's a different beast you know it's fast-paced you're, you're filming things obviously in different scenes different orders various locations different times of day and, and it's you know I'm sure you know you get a lot from that I'm sure but with theatre I think it helps individual actors grow and really get to know the class. What about the courage it takes to go on stage it has taken me um, I mean I love stand-up comedy started doing it here with Comedy QS it took mm -hmm. It recently, like five years to go, hey, I don't need the notes and I don't, I'm not scared anymore. I'm actually excited. I mean, I always loved it, but yeah. it, it, they had to start laughing. And then I'm like, I'm like, now I just, I just am so comfortable in my own skin up there. I mean, I still get, I still want to do well, but how, how, what was your experience of learning to go on stage? Um, can I just say you were fantastic for One Night Stands. Thank you. I that so well. I loved listening to you backstage. It was great. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, for me, stage fright is still a very real thing. I'm getting better. But I usually freak out right till the second I'm on stage. <laughs> you know, I'm shaking like, like a leaf. My, my, my mouth feels dry. I'm panicking. But I think that's it's normal, right? You know, everyone goes I think it shows, uh, well, because I always would tell people, and then later myself when I started, that like, well, if you're, if you're not a little worried, that might, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. You yeah. Do it, it's, it, it means it's, you yeah. can't. I mean, but yeah, the dry mouth, my legs would shake. Me too. Legs, hands, everything. Someone once said, you were white knuckling the mic. I'm like, lady, you're lucky. Because people will come up and go, man, I don't know how you break, have have the you know courage. And I was like, yeah, it, it is courageous. Because, mm -hmm. um, But it's empowering. It feels 
amazing. It is empowering. And somebody said to me, just use that energy, use it to your advantage, you know, channel it. So I try and remember that. Because <laughs> there is a lot of memorization with, uh, when you're doing a play, you're doing a, you did four characters. And I don't know if I... Yes, like, you could. <laughs> <laughs> I read once someone's like um that's the grunt work of acting you have no idea and I was like well it's a lot I mean how do you you just you're just constantly I haven't memorized anything since like phone numbers I'm a lot yeah. older than you we used to have to know them Sue. I, I, I miss those days I remember those <laughs> I days <know. laughs> and today I'm like where's my phone I lose my phone but yeah. how do you prepare because uh, you can't be ad-libbing right you gotta have the- yeah I just I just make sure just read and read and read. I record my lines a lot of the time and I listen to it over and over again. Um, I get someone to practice with me, anything and everything that will just solidify it in my, in, in my head. And um, you know, yeah, it's tough, but it's like you said, it's rewarding. <laughs> it's amazing to be able to do um, work. Emotionally, man, I'm, I'm a little spent, not after a five minute show, but I mean, it's uh takes a lot out of you sometimes to it does how do you feel after a big performance or any performance absolutely relieved that it's over (laughs) (laughs) I know that but yeah yeah it takes some time to kind of ground myself again and And, then um, how talk about Key West how does it inspire you what what is it you've been here now for five years six yeah uh, almost five years and what what is it about I mean, you could live wherever you want. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, Key West, what well, is just so welcoming. It's just the place where you can find yourself or lose yourself. It's up to you. And like we said earlier, you can do whatever you want and the community supports you. That's just such, such a wonderful thing. And the amount of talent that's here, you know, mm-hmm. it's incredible. It's, it's nuts. I mean, I have met people here. I'm like, I would never meet. Judy Bloom runs our bookstore. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is I mean you know or you'll run into someone and they're like oh he produces this I'm like what yeah and, um, it is a ma- it really is magical I mean there's a lot I can focus on certain things like rent or I can focus mm-hmm. on my friends and you know yeah. a sense of, uh, we all know each other except you and me uh, <laughs> well, run into people and it's like um, you know but I'm sure I'll see you I'll run into you <laughs> At Publix, uh, what yeah. what are some things? Um, what are you working on now? Are you do you want people to follow you on social, or would you rather they? Well, I'm I'm working, <laughs> I'm working on practicing doing voiceover work. Mm. That's my, the, the next thing I want to try, um, and I'm going to put my demo out there. And I don't know, I might get my first gig in Key West. Who knows? So, so voiceovers for for everything for film for, 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 for film if possible. I might I might start with audiobooks as well. No, and I know a lot of people doing that. Um, wh- whatever I can get to start with, because you know, I'm a new. You have a great area. voice. You're very. Well, thank you, my dear. You might, maybe I'll hire you to do my voicemail. And I'm serious. I need a very professional voicemail. Mine just is like, hey, leave a message, maybe. Yeah. It just sounds because I still like voicemail. I don't know about some people are like, yeah, stop leaving voicemail. I'm like, it's I like it. I'll do your voicemail at your service. <laughs> working we're working on it um Sue Nubia thank you so much for coming on thank you Gwen
Thanks for listening to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org.